0: As I mentioned, my wife and I just came from Andrews University. We both graduated from there. I got a Master's of Divinity, and she graduated with Physical Therapy, but before that, we both grew up on the West Coast, so we're happy to be back here. I grew up in Walla Walla, Washington. She grew up in the Portland area, and we met out there at seminary. The jokes that they said, oh, you're going out there to find a wife. Well, it turns out it was true. In an unexpected way, I'll tell you the story another time, Uh, but you can meet people in all sorts of places, I'll just say that. I I grew up in Walla Walla, like I, I mentioned. I graduated from Southern Adventist University with Theology in 2009, and got hired by the Central California Conference, and worked for three years on the youth evangelism team, traveling around, going to a lot of churches and schools, and then got hired or moved to sonora where i worked as an associate pastor for a couple years and then got sent to seminary and and now here i am and we are excited to be back here michigan is very flat if you've never been there so seeing actual terrain mountains in the distance is really awesome i took sarah to yosemite for the first time not too long ago she enjoyed that i'm a rock climber and so being close to yosemite is great for me I have some plans, big plans, for the upcoming climbing season. I love snow skiing. I was a ski instructor one winter up in Washington State. So if you'd like to do any of these things, let me know and maybe we could get out there sometime. But we're blessed and excited to be here. But before we begin the message, let's just pray one more time. Lord, we're blessed and grateful for you And you alone, and I pray that you and you alone will speak, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's the new year, people are thinking about resolutions, people are thinking about what they want this new year to look like for them. And I just wanted to ask as we begin, have you ever started something and then failed to finish it? Yeah, okay. Uh, Sarah and I just joined a, a, a fitness club, fitness center, and I said to her, it's, it's a little busy now, but in about a month, there'll be less people here. Because that's just kind of how it works, right? <laughs> Maybe you can identify where you've set out on a, a workout program, a, a strength-building program, a health regimen. And unless you're really exceptional, it often tends to fade away over time, right? Have you ever started a home improvement project? Something around the house, wives don't volunteer your husband, don't point him out. I remember when I was growing up I had this guitar. It wasn't that great of a guitar, but I knew or I thought I knew how I could make it even better. I was going to take the strings off, I was going to adjust some things, I thought well maybe I'll just take the, the paint off the fretboard and, and I'll, I'll switch that up also. And. I did the project, but it turns out I don't know anything about fixing guitars like I thought I did. And I only sanded off part of the paint, and when I put it back together again, it sounded worse than it did before. And we just visited my parents' home, and that guitar is still in their house, (laughs) mocking me. (laughs) I started it, but I just couldn't finish it well. Maybe some of you have started a book. I've started a lot of books and then never quite come around to finishing it. Maybe you've started a Bible read-through plan. The new year, I'm gonna read the Bible through in a year. And then you get to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and it tends to fall away. By the way, there's a lot of good stuff in those books and we'll we'll have opportunity to mine some gems as time goes on. This morning I wanna visit a story about somebody who also started a project They had their New Year's resolution, as it were, but they also struggled to finish it. We're talking this morning about Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. And you ask, well, who exactly? I've heard that name before. Who is Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel was living in Babylon, or that region, after the Babylonian, or during the time of the Babylonian captivity. So Nebuchadnezzar took a whole bunch of people captive, Zerubbabel, or at least his parents, were a part of that group. Zerubbabel literally means a seed of Babylon, or one who was born in Babylon, probably is the meaning. So he probably was born there in Babylon. It was a 70-year captivity, as you recall. And he was of the tribe of Judah, and he actually grew to become the prince, or the leader of the tribe of Judah. And when Cyrus sent the people back in 538 B.C., He was sent back as the governor of Jerusalem, the governor of the province, and he was of the line of David. In fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 1, you'll see that he is a direct ancestor of Jesus. Jesus came through his lineage, and he was the last person to hold that position of authority in Jerusalem as a part of this line of David. So that's a little bit about Zerubbabel, but I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Ezra chapter 1. We're going to pick up his story in Ezra chapter 1 and see what we can learn about this fascinating biblical character. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of who? Cyrus, the king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm, to put it into writing. So Cyrus, as you recall, is not what we would call a Christian or a God follower. Cyrus is a pagan king but God has, had impressed upon his heart to make a proclamation. The Holy Spirit had moved on his heart and notice Ezra chapter 1, verse 2, what it says there. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the Lord, God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem and in Judah. Anyone among his people of you may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem." Basically, he said, God put it on my heart to build a temple for him in Jerusalem. And if you want to go home to build a temple for your God in Jerusalem, go ahead. And look at what verse five says. Then the family, the heads of Judah and of Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, everyone prepared to go up and build a house of the Lord in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit moves upon the heart of Cyrus, and then the Spirit moves upon the hearts of people living there in Babylon, and about 40,000 people returned to Jerusalem for this very, very special work. Look there in chapter 2. Chapter 2 lists the people who went along. And look at chapter 2, verse 2. It says, In company with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, or Joshua, he was the high priest, Nehemiah, Sariah, and then there's a whole bunch of other names after that. And chapter 2 lists out the people who went, the numbers who went, whose God's spirit had moved to return and rebuild the temple. And then we get to chapter 3. Chapter 3, they just get settled in. Chapter 3, verse 1, we get to the seventh month of arriving there. And God puts it on their heart in verse 2 to build something. Verse 2, chapter 3, Then Jeshua, the son of Josadak and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel and his associates, began to build the what? The altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings with it On it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifice. So the first step in building the temple was number one, let's restore the sacrifices, let's build an altar. And so they do that. And then you continue reading the story. You get to verse 7. They give money to the carpenters, to the stone workers. And they say, go up into the mountains and get some big trees. We're going to need some timber, some lumber for this project. And then we get to verse 10. They're laying a foundation. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments, their clothing, with the trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. They got an altar built. Now they have a foundation built. They're well on their way to their goal of building the temple again. But then, a twist in the plot. Trouble is brewing. Because while they're praising God, they're shouting hallelujah, The people who had been living there all along, who'd been brought in to occupy the land during the captivity, we would call some of them the Samaritans. These peoples are not happy that the Israelites have moved back, that the people of Judah and Benjamin had returned. And so look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard the exiles were building the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, "'Let us help build, because like you, "'we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him "'since the time of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, "'who brought us here.'" Hey, we want to help out. But really, they they were just trying to get in because they wanted to destroy the project. Sometimes you have good intentions, you have good plans, you have good things that God has laid upon your heart, and there might even be family members or friends, well-intentioned as they might be, who try to start to get in your way. Or maybe it's just that you're starting a new diet and it's your own self, your own desires that are starting to get in the way. Oh, I know I should eat this, but I really want one of those. <laughs> you're laughing because you have probably experienced that, right? Amen. Yeah. Hey, hey, We're all in this together. So you keep on reading, and what they did is they said, we're going to get false counselors, bad counselors, to infiltrate and try and destroy this, because the people were like, no, we know what you're up to, and we don't want you to be a part of this project. And the people actually, the surrounding peoples, threatened them such that the workers were very afraid. You remember the story of Nehemiah, where they're trying to rebuild the wall. And they they worked with one arm and they had a sword in the other arm because it was a hostile group of people surrounding them. And then they started this big letter-writing campaign. They're writing letters and sending lies to the, the higher powers that be. And the end result of this opposition is found in Ezra 4, verse 4. 4, verse 24, rather. It says, Thus, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem, came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. When the obstacles came, when the people started to provoke them, threaten them, attack them, the work stopped. It actually stopped for 16 years. Set the work down. They go on with life. Sixteen years, that's a long time. But then chapter 5, verse 1. God's Spirit still has a plan to restore the temple. He starts to move. Verse 1, it says, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. So something is said through Zechariah and through Haggai that that lights a fire in the heart of Zerubbabel and Joshua, and they start to go back to work again. In fact, when you look at Ezra 6, verse 14, Through these messages of encouragement, the work is actually accomplished. Ezra 6.14, So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, a descendant of Ido. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. There was a long delay, but eventually the work was accomplished. But it makes me wonder, and maybe you're wondering the same thing, what exactly did God say through Haggai and through Zechariah? Because clearly they're the catalyst that that the Spirit used to start the work again. And the good news is there's such a thing as the book of Haggai and the book of Zechariah. So let's turn there towards the end of the Old Testament where things start to get a little a little muddied sometimes in our memory, past Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the way, almost to the very end, to the book of Haggai, right after Zephaniah. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. What was this message that God sent through the prophet, to start the work again. Haggai 1 verse 1, it says, In the second year of the king Darius, at the end of these 16 years, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to who? Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, governor of Judea, Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord God Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while well, this house, the temple, lies in ruins? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. During that time of inactivity, While they weren't working on the temple, they were working on their own homes. Nothing wrong with fixing up your house. But they were starting to put nice paneling on their homes. They were doing, for for that time, they were making their homes quite comfortable. All the while, God doesn't have a physical dwelling place here on this earth. So God says, what are you doing? Think about it. Where are your priorities in life? If God came down to you this afternoon and said, consider your ways, would he find any misplaced priorities in my heart, in your heart? God continues to to let Haggai know, hey, there's famine, there are problems in the land, and it's because you've been neglecting me. You need to get back to your priorities. But fortunately, this message was heeded it was listened to verse 12 Haggai chapter 1 then Zerubbabel son of Sheltiel, and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent to him and the people feared the Lord verse 13 then Haggai the Lord's messenger gave this message of the Lord to the people i am with you declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaddak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. They got back to work when the spirit of God stirred their hearts once more. And then God gave them another promise in Haggai 2, verse 4. He says, But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Jehoshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, O ye people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. He said, my spirit is with you. I'm going to help you accomplish this. The people got back to work. But there was one other prophet, right? Who had a message that encouraged Zechariah, uh, Zerubbabel to finish his work. And that was the prophet Zechariah. Just the next book. Flip over to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4 contains this fascinating prophecy about a temple. It has all sorts of symbolism in it. We can maybe talk about it at another time. But I want you to zone in Tune into to verse 6. Zechariah 4, verse 6. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Most of us have probably known this verse for a long time. But it's, it's, it's even more powerful when you understand it in its context. Here's a man who'd started something good. The Spirit had moved him to do something good. But because of obstacles, he'd cast it aside, set it down for 16 years. And now the Spirit is inspiring him again and saying, Hey, you've got a project. You're going to rebuild this temple. But it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my Spirit. Look at verse 7. What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Any obstacle, even if it's a big mountain, God says, by my spirit, will become flat ground, a level ground. Kind of reminds me of what Jesus said about faith and mountains in the New Testament. Not by might, nor by power. I remember in 2006, I was a student at Southern. I was in the dormitory. I walked into the the men's dean's office and there was a TV screen on And there was a program that that drew me in. It was called the World's Strongest Man Competition. Maybe some of you have heard of it before, seen it before. But that particular year, it was a big showdown between Mariusz Pujanowski, I think he was from Poland or somewhere, and then there was the, the big, strong American firefighter, Phil Pfister, who years before had promised. He said, I will bring the World's Strongest Man title back to the United States of America. And heretofore, he had failed, but this year, he was set out to conquer. If you've seen the show, they have all sorts of amazing things. You've got the bus pull, where they literally pull a bus. You have the car walk, where they get inside of a car with these special straps, and they walk a car down a track. These massive tires that they have to flip, or the Hercules hole, where they're holding these columns together and keeping them from falling down. And then the capstone event. My favorite was the, was the atlas stones. It's like five stones that start with a measly like 150 pounds and then go up to like 300 something. And they have to put these spheres up on top of these big pillars. And in the end, Phil Pfister won and he was so excited and there was so much testosterone flowing through his body and through that competition. And it occurred to me, that that's a lot of times our approach to getting stuff done. We just think, man, if I had a little more muscle, if I had a little more might, if I had a little more power, if I had a little more education, then I could solve these problems in my life. If I just tried a little harder, grit my teeth a little harder, bear down a little bit more, then I'll be able to fix this issue. I'll be able to get rid of this sin in my life. But God's word says it's not by might. It's not by power. Because God is able to, to, to work with many or with few. It's by God's spirit. That's what his word says. Book of Psalms, chapter 33, I'll just read it to you for the sake of time. God says something powerful there. Psalm 33, verse 16, it says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his strength. It's not up to you. It's up to God's spirit and his spirit working through us. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, Once said this about our need of the Holy Spirit. He said, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without a wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire, we are useless. Charles Spurgeon recognized it wasn't by might and it wasn't by power, but it was by God's Spirit. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1, God said, Ah, stubborn children, Declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine. They make an alliance but not by my spirit that they may add sin to sin. The whole process of building the temple was the Holy Spirit's initiative from the very beginning. He's the one that inspired Cyrus, the non God worshiper, to build a house for God, to send the captives back. He's the one that inspired the captives to return. He's the one that got the work going, and he's the one that inspired Haggai and Zechariah to say what they said to get the work moving forward again. So it's no wonder that God's message to Zerubbabel and his message to us again today is that it's not by strength, it's not by mind power or by physical power, but it's by God's Spirit that things are accomplished. I was looking at your bulletin and your website. And I really enjoyed seeing here the the vision and the mission of this church. Keeping it in front of our minds week by week in the bulletin. Mission, reading from the bulletin, is to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. That's good, amen? amen? Our vision is to belong to Christ in a healthy church family where every member is valued and loved. Thoroughly equipped and and joyfully involved in linking others to Christ. That's a good thing for a vision. How are we going to continue to accomplish it? In our own strength? In our own power? Or do we want to link to the infinite power? Infinite source of power. I don't know what God has laid on your heart for right now, for this new year. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish. Perhaps you're a parent and you're wanting to be a better parent. Maybe you're a husband and wife and you're wanting to be a better spouse. Do you want infinite power to help you with this? Or do you want to try it on your own? Maybe you're a student and you're just so busy. I know what that's like. (laughs) Do you want just your mind? Or do you want to link up with the infinite mind to help you? I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what sins you deal with. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's some addiction of some sort. Maybe it's gossip. Have you tried fixing it on your own before? How's it work? It's not by might, no, by power, but it's by God's Holy Spirit. I'm a new leader here. I'm here to help, do what I can. I loved my, my education. I learned a lot, lots of valuable things. But it's not by MDiv or PhD. It's by God's Spirit. Amen. That's what's going to move us forward. So how do we seek the Holy Spirit? We could and probably should do a whole sermon series on that, but I have three simple suggestions as we close this morning. Number one, ask God for the Holy Spirit every day. And not just in a, dear God, give me the Holy Spirit, amen. Not just that. Really seek God earnestly. Seek to be filled to the proportion that you want to be filled. 100% full. Number two, not only ask God for the Spirit every day, number two, spend time in this book every day. Getting to know the God, getting to know the Holy Spirit, getting to know Jesus through its pages. If you want suggestions for how to do that, Talk to an elder, you can talk to me. We'll give you some ideas. Number three, spend time with other people seeking and praying for the Holy Spirit in your family, in your life, and in this church. And I can't think of a better way to do that than to to show up Wednesday night. Ten days of prayer and then keep showing up. I'm going to be there. Who else plans on being there Wednesday night? Good. I hope to see each and every one of you there, if you can make it. If you can't make it, you can have your own ten days of prayer at your home, and, and when you can make it, come, and when you can't, be praying in your heart. But if we want real change in our life, in our family, in our church, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by God's Holy Spirit. Lord, here we are, once again, In need of you. We've tried and fallen on our own too many times. Lord Jesus, we need you. If we don't recognize our need of you, I pray you'll reveal it to us. Help us to sense how desperately we are without you so that we can come to you and get the true strength that we need. So that we too, like Zerubbabel, can accomplish the things that you've laid in our hearts so that we can be the people you want us to be, and so that we can fulfill the vision and the mission that you've put on this congregation's heart. This is our prayer. Let everybody say, Amen.